Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. And I'm Tommy Vitor. That was just me. That was just me. He's not here. Tommy's not here. But uh, he's here for the episode, but not for the recording of the introduction to the bonus episode. So we were at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas Uh on Tuesday. And we had a wonderful discussion with... Kara Swisher. Kara Swisher. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Um, has her own pod on Recode. And so we did a crossover. You know, there were laughs. There were some tough questions. Love it and Kara are fast friends now. Yep, we're taking doing a little road show. We hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, here it is. So um, we were just sitting backstage and we were talking about a variety of things, of podcasts, and I'm so excited coming from Silicon Valley, to be able to interview white men. I'm so excited. Um, first of all. Big switch. Yeah, yeah. It's a big switch for me. Um, it's usually, you know, not the sausage fest that's happening here. Um, but, um, but let's get started into what you guys are doing. Um, when, when do we come on? When do you come on? All right, here we go. Um, we're going to start about sort of what you're doing exactly. Sure. So why don't you explain what you're doing? Because you've created a pod, several podcasts. Yep. But you're creating a media company, a left, essentially a left-wingy media company, correct? Yeah. Yes. John, why don't you start? So we, um, we had a podcast called Keeping It 1600 before the election. The elect- mm-hmm. All right. Uh, then Trump won. Um, and we decided that we didn't just want to continue the podcast, which we may have done if Hillary had won, but we wanted to get back into the game to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. We'd all been in politics for a long time. And so we wanted to not only have continue the political podcast we were doing, but expand to a network of podcasts, expand into video, sort of create a progressive media company that didn't just uh, analyze politics like we did during Keeping It 1600, but also um, you know, helped inspire activism mm-hmm. and, and organize. Um, so we started Crooked Media. And uh, we're in the very early stages, so we have a long way to go. All right. um, but uh, yeah, we hope to be a progressive media company that informs, entertains, and inspires action. So progressive media companies have had not the best history. We're, I'm thinking Air America, and we got Rachel Maddow and Al Franken, yay, yeah. uh, and others out of that. But it wasn't a successful effort. Um, same thing with Current. Uh, others things. How do you guys look at this idea uh, of it? What, do, how, what are you thinking? Oh, well, first, I don't compare myself to those things. All and, right. Uh, well, good idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think we're approaching this thing like how do we, how do we build a successful progressive company? I think we're starting from a simple idea of we want to have this no bullshit conversation about politics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's resonated with people. Um, there's a huge appetite for a different kind of conversation that you know, look, fun, we're, we're figuring this out as we go, right? We, we decided to launch and build it as we go because we just wanted to start talking and want to have, be part of this conversation. But one thing that is for certain is that there are tens of millions of people who are deeply unsatisfied with the way they get their political news. I mean, the way that we were thinking about it is that, like, you turn on cable news and there's, like, a ton of great journalists, but what you end up watching is world-class journalists interviewing morons. 
<laughs> and like that's not a sustainable system. It is not a sustainable system. We all fucking hate the news. Mm -hmm. We turn it on. It makes us feel bad. The content is pretty bad. Mm -hmm. The way it's delivered is worse. Mm -hmm. And you know, 2016. <laughs> what? <laughs> They're laughing at me already. No, we're, we got loose really fast. By the, the way, guys, start going. That means everybody deep. whose flights were canceled. Thank you for being here. <laughs> um, uh, you're part of our key demographic. <laughs> People stuck at the airport. Nice. Uh, a group of people with which we're competing with CNN. Nice. Um, what was the question? <laughs> so we're going to do that. Basically, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, we're starting with. <laughs> um, you know, we started with this podcast. It, it resonated with a lot of people. We're going to try to figure out ways to bring that kind of a voice, a younger, more authentic voice. You know. <laughs> All these different news outlets are all struggling with how to reach with how to reach people, and they so many seem to have settled on having a serious authoritarian voice of authority mm -hmm. with none of this with none of the actual authority behind it. Right. And and we just want to sound like ourselves. We want to bring people who who know something about politics, who have something to say, who care about these issues, mm -hmm. and aren't going to be part of a stilted dead language conversation that we're all very sick of. Well, I'm not sure if it was authoritative. It's screamy. It's just pretty yes. screamy. Yes. Yes. Right. For so, sure. That's also bad. Um, so, Tommy, you guys were at um, Bill Simmons, um, yeah. The Ringer and stuff, and that's where you got started with yeah. Keeping It 1600. Why did you leave? Because that's, a, you know, that, that's what he is doing. So not, why not be part of that particular media organization? Sure. I mean, there's a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I, I think that if, if Hillary had won, we probably would have kept doing this as a hobby. But when she lost, I think we all had this existential crisis that if you watched the live stream, you saw happen in real time where we figured, like, you know, we have to... It didn't feel right to wake up every day and, like, obsess about politics and what's happening in the country and then go to work doing something else. For me, I needed to marry those two things up and make that my job and my life. And Never so, watch that live stream, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Really, watch us break down. It's, it's really sad. <laughs> yeah. It's really sad. So I think, like... What the ringer is doing is great, but it's like sports and culture and news. We're trying to make something that's like very progressive and very activist. Mm -hmm. And then on another end, like we're dedicating our lives to this. Like I'm moving down to LA, we're starting an office, we're hiring a team. Like we wanna own and have the flexibility of creating all the content and making all this. But you were the big hit on that, correct? You were the big hit on on the ringer, correct? Those are your words. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I look, was, but look, I, I mean, I've been reading Bill Simmons for a decade. Like, he, right. uh, his stuff is great, and it always will be great. And right. Ringer's going to be fine. Were they, when you're, were they sharing revenue with you? I understand they were not sharing revenue with you. In the they way. were paying us dollars. Yeah. Okay, but enough dollars? They were paying us. Do you yeah. want us to get the contract out? Yes, please. That would be great. They were paying us enough for what was a part-time hobby. A part-time thing. You know, and so... But you guys wanted to start your own thing. We wanted to do a full-time thing. So are and, you... when, and we said that to, And I said to Bill right after the election, we want to start our own thing because we want to not just be partisan, but also activist. And right. I don't think you want all of this activism under the banner of The Ringer, which also does sports and tech and stuff. We, and he's like, yeah, I totally understand. We want to do stuff with this company that will have a political benefit that might not have any financial benefit. Mm -hmm. And I think... Explaining that to someone, if you're part of a broader organization, would be right. difficult. I think we can have that flexibility doing it. But you want to build a business, correct? I mean, yeah. that's what yeah. you're going for. Absolutely. And you, you're one of the top ones on iTunes. I mean, I'm in the podcast business. You can make some money. You can mm -hmm. actually make some real money at it. So are you raising money right now? We're not. I don't I think yet. we need to. Not raising money? Nope. How are you going to pay? I mean, we're not going to pay ourselves any money, but we're going to use the revenue from ads to invest in the business and try to hire a great team and mm -hmm. get an office. So you're space. not going sort of the, the startup route, 
creating a, that kind of Well, thing. I just feel like the podcast is like our seed money. Right. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know the venture fund terms. <laughs> <laughs> the vultures are good, emailing us. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Right, I don't know what right. a seed round is. Seed. I want nothing to do with it. Yeah. You guys are way, way too eager. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> like, we don't need you people. We're making money hand over fist. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there it which is. is very it. Against, <laughs> which is very against the People say that making money in like the content media game is hard. And like that is just like not my it experience. Is, it is. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. It's honestly like a joke. It's super confusing. Because like everyone's like, oh, how are you going to monetize? Like it's easy. Yeah. Just start talking and then yeah. the money rolls in. <laughs> don't tell them. I don't know what other people are doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so clearly we're not raising money. Okay, all right, good. Because <laughs> you're not very I good mean, at... like, yeah. I mean, you can give us money. It's going right. to be a terrible valuation for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is your valuation, John? Uh, Obviously, for you, priceless in your head. But, yeah, what is it? I mean, I'm going to have to say it, guys. Right. <laughs> Billion dollar business, hub of the resistance. What okay. do you want? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the resistance, because um, <laughs> people say you're a very tough interviewer. I don't. <laughs> John, do you find that? Uh, John, I do find that. I do find it, but I really do enjoy. Um, you know, it's easier when I have to interview egomaniacs. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. There that she is. Great. That was great. There she is. Oh, I feel was, so good about you that. Do, that was really good. Uh, you know, I made Mark Zuckerberg sweat and almost faint. Really? Yeah. And the only reason I stopped is because I thought he'd fall on the ground, that I'd have to do CPR, and then that picture would go down. And, just, <laughs> and you just don't want that to Weighing happen. the options. I didn't want any lip action with Mark Zuckerberg. Dear Max. Anyway, dear Max, yeah. You won't believe what happened with Kara today. <laughs> I'm trying to build a world where that doesn't happen again. <laughs> In any case, um, let's get to Trump, speaking of um, yeah. uh, making Egomaniac. action appropriately. Um, speaking of egomaniacs. Speaking of egomaniacs. Um, so Trump, even though, you know, you guys, I did watch you on election night where you were weeping copiously. <laughs> Um, and um, in real time, uh, one could say Trump has been very, very good to you at this point because it's a really good time. It feels like that with us and our site and a lot of media people are suddenly activated. And I hate to use that word, um, but it does feel like that. I mean, the other day, George Stephanopoulos actually got angry and I didn't know what to do with myself. Because I was like, <laughs> wow, you're asking a real question that needs an answer um, rather than softer stuff. Um, so talk about what, that, what, what you feel the opportunity is now with, with the resistance, when you talk about the resistance. I mean, I would easily trade the podcast and everything we're doing for Trump not being president right mm-hmm. now. All right, okay. Um, but look, no, I think he's... Um, it, I don't think there's too many silver linings of this election, mm-hmm. but what we have at least seen over the last couple months mm-hmm. is that it has spurned a level of activism and engagement and interest in politics that I haven't seen since the early days of 07 and 08 when Obama started running. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, you know, I mean, because this is, this is people who, we are talking to people and people are coming up to us that have never paid attention to politics before or have just sort of casually paid attention to politics before. And now they're saying, I'm scared. I want to know what to do. I want to fix it. Where, what should I do? Where should I go? And you're seeing these people show up at town halls, and you're seeing them show up at rallies, and you're seeing them march. And so if, if, we can, if, if that movement can come out of this, and you know, we can survive the Trump presidency, and people can be engaged, then you know, that's a very good thing for democracy. And how, and how do you feel about that? I think that's right. I, I, you know, this is, we're in the middle of a national crisis. There's a lot of people who are scared and worried and are either people who have paid attention to politics and have never been more engaged or the kind of person that wasn't paying attention. Either way, they're showing up at protests, they're showing up at airports, they're, they're trying to figure this out, and 
there's so much coming at us. There's so much crazy stories, and, and, and so, it's so hard to figure out what to trust. It, it's so hard to know, you know, so often you turn on the news and there's so little sense of history, so you have to find out, like, wait, is what Trump's doing today, is this normal? Is this, mm-hmm. is this, does this just seem bad, or is this what, like, firing, firing U.S. attorneys, is that something that happens every time? Well, yes. Did they do it the normal way? No. It's kind of weird. It's kind of not weird. And there's so much coming at us. There's so much to parse. If we can play some small role mm-hmm. in saying, hey, you know, look, we've been there. We've worked in, in politics. We can get the, the people that we trust that are really smart to help us figure this out. Like, that's a, that's a role I'm, like, proud to be a part of. And it'll be a small part, small part of that. And, and bring on people who can say, here's what you can do. I know you want to help. I know you've never done that before. I know you've never been to a protest before. You've never been to a town hall before. This is great group, Indivisible. You know, we're talking to them because they're new and they're trying to figure this out. You should go to their website. Go, go, go be a part of what they're doing. So when you're thinking about this, Tommy, the, the, when it comes to the concept around getting people activated and getting people right. doing things, um, a lot of comparison made to the Tea Party, that sort of the left Tea Party. Do you see that? Do you, do you imagine that? Because they're super effective. They were very effective. They were very organized. I think they're tactics that you can borrow mm-hmm. in terms of organizing, in terms of being present, in terms of just remembering how easy it is as citizens and constituents to scare the shit out of Congress mm-hmm. because that pressure works and it works fast and it cave quickly as we're seeing on ACA repeal. Um, you know, I think like we are part of a group of organizations that is um, riding a wave of interest in, in Trump. Uh, and we approach this business with some humility because we're aware of that. Um, but I think what Lovett was saying earlier, like, A, there's a cathartic effect to, like, when everyone around you, you're watching this thing happen, you feel like it's crazy, and you're like, do you guys see this too? I think hearing people who've worked in the White House and done what we did, like, is, is a helpful reminder that, no, you're not crazy. Like, what's happening is, and we're mm-hmm. part of that. So do you feel, now you all worked in the Obama administration. Do you feel like you're utter failures of what's happened? That never occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of ways, like, I want to get to the idea of, like, every morning things change and stuff like that. But right. this is a reaction in a way, and it is a failure I don't in think some fashion. Listen, I'm, you personally feel I'm going to be, like, the reflexive, defensive Obama guy. And so All right. It's encoded in my DNA, and I can't fix that. But I, I do think, I think elections are unique events that are about one individual versus another individual. I don't think you can blame everything on a predecessor in any election. Um, we, should, we, also, we, should, we should thank God that um, Trump took office with relative peace and prosperity and not in the middle of a crisis like when Obama took office because God help us if there, we're in the middle of a crisis right now and Trump took over. I mean, like, I think Obama accomplished quite a bit in two terms. Right? What do you attribute the reaction to? Because even if you can say Hillary's the worst candidate or she wasn't like whatever the fuck you want to say about Hillary mm-hmm. in that part, it got really way too close given... For sure. Eight yeah, years. I, the way it got I, way too close, no matter who was the candidate. For sure, yes. <laughs> um, little things had to go wrong for Donald Trump to become president. Mm-hmm. Comey, emails, all that stuff. Um, but big things did make Trump possible. Big cultural, political, economic forces mm-hmm. opened the door to someone like Trump. Uh, you know, Barack Obama took office in the middle of a massive financial crisis. He was handed... A really <laughs> a, a bunch of messes all around the world and at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we spent the eight years doing a lot of good work from you know rebuilding the economy, the stimulus, getting into healthcare, Wall Street, all the different things that that, that amount to an incredibly successful legislative and and, and administrative uh, period of time. That being said, like didn't solve every problem in the world, and there are long long term trends that are really difficult to address. You know, one of the things you know, we talked about we talked to Seth Moulton yesterday, mm-hmm. and 
you know, we, we, we asked them sort of like, you know, look, there's this anger, there's this angst about the economy. Um, you know, who do you see talking about the new economic vision? What should Democrats be saying? And the thing that he said, which I actually find, uh, I actually think it's a little bit inspiring, like, we're figuring that out now, you know, that, that, that if, if this election does one thing, it shows us that, like, when the, the center left, the center right, when they're not offering answers, it opens the doors to monsters. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened here. It, also, it, it, one other but, but, thing, but, yeah. one in five Trump voters uh, gave Obama a positive approval rating. Mm-hmm. job performance when they went to the polls. Sure. So this was, there was a, I mean, it is very, first of all, when you've been in office for eight years, right, there is a feeling of people want change, right? And at the end of the day, um, if you had a positive image of Hillary Clinton, you voted for her. If you had a positive image of Trump, you voted for him. If you didn't like either candidate, which was about 20% of voters, uh, they voted for Trump by about 17 points mm-hmm. because he was the outsider that they didn't like versus what Hillary Clinton was, which is the insider they didn't like, right? And so there's a lot of complicating factors, but in the end, it's that simple. It was sort of a change. It ended up being a change of life. Just a change thing. See, I think it was much more dramatic than that, that it was I, things people didn't see I think that, oh, I think but that for the casual observer, I'm saying right. a, lot, a lot of people who go to the polls at the end of the day do not pay attention to politics as closely as we all pay attention to politics mm-hmm. because they're busy, they lead busy lives, and so they sort of look at it from afar. And when you squint and look at the whole thing from afar, you say, he's sort of crazy, but he's an outsider, so maybe he can bring change. She, I don't know if I like her, but she's been there forever, so I'll give him a chance. And that, that tipped the election because mm-hmm. it was that close. But, and I, do, and, but I, think, I think it is really important for Democrats, for liberals to ask what, what weren't they getting, right? Mm-hmm. What yeah. did they want to be different? Like, what are the economic policies that were either not describing well or not offering? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a conversation that's ongoing. It's a really important thing. You know, we're right now really much, really Democrats feel united because we're united against a terrible foe. But as we move forward, it's gonna become more and more important for us to have a positive vision. What? Right. Terrible foe. Terrible, terrible foe. foe, what do you want? A great, a great and historic villain. <laughs> okay. Evil rises in the East. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Hey, don't go anywhere. This is Pod Save America, and there's more on the way. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down. Not do what generations of New Englanders have done. Just stuff their feelings down. Maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No. You got to talk to someone. You got to work it out. Get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-S-A. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, The Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. It's rather easy to play against Trump as the villain. Uh, what fresh hell has he done today? Right. Like, yeah. Essentially, like, ah. Uh, the other day I was saying to someone, I went to the shower and he did something while I was in the shower. I'm like, fuck, I missed the episode. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. I think he fired Sally Yates. I was like, ah, how did he do that so quickly? Um, but we can't, you can't always be against, the villain is always the appealing character. You think about just drama. You're all, you all live in Los Angeles, you live in San Francisco, but in Los Angeles, it's easy to have an appealing villain, essentially, right. because I think what this has been turned into. It's another thing to have a message. And one of the things that I think was um, problematic for the, the, Clinton, the Clinton campaign is a lot of people, both on I, the coastal elites, really did make fun of Make America Great Again. I thought it was a great slogan. I thought, wow, that is a really good, it's a really good slogan. It makes, it's, it's a very appealing makes you feel good and bad at the same time. It makes you feel like you want to do something. And then when I saw Stronger Together, it, it felt like a glue commercial. Um, to me, I was like, oh, okay, we're stronger together. Like, it didn't, like, get you. What, what, are, what is the message for the Democratic Party? And then I want to get into all Trump all the time. Like, yeah, what, right. how do you guys cover this? What do you think about how he's doing and stuff like that? But how do you, where is the message? Because you all were involved in messaging. Like, yeah. where, what well, is look, the message? Well, me- look, I mean, this is the nature of politics, that for the last eight years, the message of the Republican Party was Obama sucks and we're not Obama. Right. And that led them to victory in the House, the Senate, and did the it? presidency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did. Yeah. You know? Now, I do not agree that we should just do the same thing and, uh, for the next eight years and say we're not Trump, we're not Trump, because I do think you need a positive message. Right. I think what was tough, what was tough for Hillary and what was tough for that campaign is just what you were saying, which is you go out there, you give a big speech on the jobs and the economy, and then suddenly the Access Hollywood tape comes out, right? And the next day, she can't go do another event on jobs and the economy because no one's covering that because Trump just (laughs) said this crazy thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so everyone, the Clinton campaign excluded, kept getting sucked into the vortex of Trump, right? And so I think as we look to 2018 and 2020, um, there is going to be a temptation because Trump is going to continue to do and crazy things and tweet crazy things every single day mm-hmm. to just make your message every day about what he did. Right. But what you have to do is talk about jobs, the economy, health care, and your positive vision for all of this. There's a broader par- problem here, which is if you look at the research of like how people and parties define themselves for the first time in history, Democrats are more defined by being opposed to the other than anything they stand for. And I think we mm-hmm. need to do a lot of work figuring that out again. So what do they stand for? Because I, I don't well, know. It's an ongoing message challenge. I mean, economic equality, health care, civil rights. I mean, these are the, in, like, stringing these together into a core message is something that I don't think happened sufficiently the last round. What do you think they stand for? Well, I, I think, first of all, this is one of the lessons. You know, Kellyanne Conway, uh, who I'm obviously a huge fan of, um, <laughs> love, love her work. Uh, especially her, her, you know, I'm a more fan of her early work. Um, I don't like the recent stuff. Uh, but no, but, but uh, 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 she said this thing, and it actually, to me, is still the smartest thing anyone simply said about the election, which is there's a difference between what offends you and what affects you. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think Bernie Sanders understood. I think that's something we instinctively understood, but it was really hard to cut through with all the Trump nonsense, mm-hmm. which is, you know, stronger together, love Trump's hate. These are about, these are about kind of 
values and, and how things feel and how things look. Mm -hmm. And we needed to make that next step and we need to make that next step into, you know, it's not just that Trump is conducting business at Mar-a-Lago, mm -hmm. you know, and being bribed to do it. Mm -hmm. It's that that's going to hurt you. It's going to affect the decisions he makes. And I think right. coming back to, on the one hand, like how Trump's policies actually hurt people and not get dragged into the vortex of his bullshit mm -hmm. is going to be really hard. And then on the other side, I think we're not going to have the answer here today. What's right. the Democratic message? Democrats well, have lost elections up and down the board. We have to figure it out. It's a really hard problem. I also think you can't start from the question of what's the message, what's the slogan. You have to answer the big question. And the big question right now is that we still, that neither party has answered is how in a global economy do we live together and thrive together and make sure that everyone has a chance to succeed? And where's the next generation of jobs going to come from? And as we become a more diverse nation, how do we make sure that we can live together and, and you know, not always demonize each other, right? And so there's questions of where opportunity comes from, where's prosperity comes from, how do we ensure some basic level of decency and equality in the society? And once we come up with those answers, then you can sort of tell a story that leads to a slogan, that leads to a message, right? Like, make America great again only worked because there was actually the... He told a whole story that went with that slogan, yeah, right? absolutely. It was a story that we didn't agree with, and I, you know, I think it's a story that's in many ways wrong because he mischaracterizes mm -hmm. where the country is, but there was a story to fit it, right? It, it, what was interesting was the reaction, though, to that, which I found interesting. It's like, it is great. And it's like, it's not really a reaction. Yeah. It's great. It's really great. You know what I mean? It, was, it seems yeah. sort of like the irritating person at school. You know what I mean? Like, but you're wrong. But you're wrong. And I think a lot of the left spends a lot of time being righteously indignant. Well, like, yeah. I can't believe he yeah. said that. And about the right. 40th time, you're like, he fucking said it. Like, he said it, he said it again, he said it again. Well, like, look, I think, I think you can make an argument why, make Amer why America is great. I think you should certainly make that argument. But you have to flesh out that argument. But then you're arguing You can't just him. make fun of it. You right. also can't make fun of it. And you're arguing you're on his agenda almost consistently. Right. Almost consistently, yeah. all Democrats do is react. And that's the story um, of the entire election. Yeah. It's like, what? I can't believe he said that. I'm like, mm, he said it. Right. No. Yeah, I, like, you know... <laughs> I feel like on the far right, they have this sort of vicious anger and hate. And on the left, we have our version, which is just incredibly annoying sanctimony. Yeah. And like high alert for sanctimony. Right, right. All over Twitter. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, so yeah, I've noticed. So, yeah. Now it's getting funny, actually. It's getting yeah. really funny, which is what you guys are using. Dear sir. Dear sir. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> no, sir. That is not what America represents. <laughs> like, how many more elections are we going to lose like this? <laughs> Lovett probably has so many tweets like this. Who what? does? Go find him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> World-class hypocrite. Right, right, right. Um, so what... I'm going to get to Trump in a second, but what, so what Democrats do have a, one sense of humor or are just going to pile through? Which ones do you see? What, who, how do you look at the Democrats? What are you looking at me for? <laughs> looking at you. This is like the... Um, you like what? Like who we who we? Who do like? you like? Who do you like? Kamala it's, Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Seth Moulton, who we talked to yesterday. Jason Kander. Jason Kander. I mean, th there's and that's not a there's there's a lot of great people out there that mm -hmm. we're not gonna. What do you like about? Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm big on people they who all, talk like. The I'm, only one that doesn't feel like a non-carbonated beverage is um, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Well, so what? I'm very big. We'll on... call them non-carbonated. You're like, oh. Oh, you mean like like they're not bubbly? <laughs> yeah. Right. Something. Okay. Yeah, you know. Let it go, love it. Let it go. Effervescent. No, I, just, I want to understand it. I'm not. I've just. I've, it's non-carbonated. I get it. No, I, I'm now getting it. I just didn't. Wasn't. I was. They're I not know. not carbonated. Right. 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 Okay. Go on. Go on. Um, How do you guys think this is going? <laughs> I am very big on politicians who talk like normal human beings. Yeah. Like all um, what? And I think like all some of the people the people we just mentioned. Like Bernie. We had we had Congressman Seth Moulton on yesterday, and he spoke like we're speaking right now. He did not do the talking points up here's my america like he just didn't do any of that stuff right and 
Jason's like that, and Elizabeth Warren is certainly like that. Yeah. Kamala Harris is like that. You know, um, so I think there is a good group of Democrats. But I think sometimes as Democrats, we think about like resume and where you're from and who's the perfect person on paper and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake. I think you just need to like. I always say that after the 2004 election, when John Kerry lost, because everyone said he was too elitist and aloof and all that kind of stuff, everyone said, well, we lost the white working class, and so the answer is someone that has to connect with the white working class. We need a southerner. We need a populist, right? If you had told someone after the 2004 election that the answer to the Democratic Party's white working class problem was a black guy from the south side of Chicago named Barack Hussein Obama, they would have told you you were fucking right. crazy. Mm-hmm. But like four years later, he was president, and right? And the same thing with Trump. And the same thing with Trump. And exactly. And so people like Barack Obama and Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders and Michelle Obama, who all come from very different backgrounds, what they've all had in common is when they speak and communicate, they're very comfortable in their own skin, right? They are not, they don't speak in a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important as we're looking. And look, I think the person who, run, who wins in 2020, wins the Democratic nomination, we might, not have, we might have any idea who that is yet, especially in this kind of world. But as we're looking for leaders who rise, I'm looking for people who talk like normal human beings talk. Mm-hmm. All right, what do you guys think? I mean... I think John sort of articulated our belief as a show here, but I, I agree that, you know, I worked for John Edwards in 2004, mm. and that was the perfect example yeah. of, like, a resume-based candidate, right? Like, right. good-looking Southern guy that could appeal to XYZ state, and that's, if you think like that, you wind up with, like, an Evan Byer or John Edwards. It's just right. not going to connect with people. Although I think he got real interesting quick, and if he had pushed that other stuff first, I would have been like, I'm down with you. With yeah, that. I mean, the, the, the 04 race, um, <laughs> that was pre- all the worst stuff. Oh, okay. man. John Edwards, huh? huh? That took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you like? Um, I mean, look, we, we, we talk about this all the time. I think we, we uh, agree on this. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, like those, I like our list. Do you like any of the uh, tech leaders or business leaders? Do you uh, feel yeah. like President Mark Zuckerberg is a good idea? You know what? Let's, oh. let's talk about that for a second. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Here's ready the thing. To... I don't know what's going on over there, <laughs> but... Mark Zuckerberg has a great story to tell. He built a pretty impressive company. Yeah. And I don't understand why he sounds like a senator in his fourth term. Like, <laughs> just talk, man. Like, don't be so afraid. Like, that's yeah. the lesson. Trump is president. Say whatever you want. Right. Anyone can no, say I whatever do, they I, want. I worry that yeah. people are going to take from this, oh, if that billionaire celebrity outside of politics can run for president, so can I. They all are saying it. They all are saying that. But, like, it is, it's about the personality. Mm-hmm. It's not about the resume. Mm-hmm. And, like, if there is a tech leader who goes out there and just, you know, is, has a no bullshit conversation with the American people about what we need to do, then yeah, maybe they have a shot. But like, the Zuckerberg thing is like, he is, they are so cautious. The statements are cautious. Mm-hmm. Everything is calculated. It does. It sounds so Washington right they now. Maybe it. it'll change. Maybe his listening <laughs> yeah. tour will change. And, and like, you know, like, they, they, they were talking about immigration and they put out such a overworked, uh, you know, and they have good, right? They have good people, but mm-hmm. but somehow it comes from the top, and you end up with something so overworked and so precious, and that doesn't say anything. It's like, what are you doing here? Right. Trump is president. You got to say things. Right. Well, it's very hard to get them to, which yeah. is really amazing. It's a the other thing, though, is like, I, I also worry that there's this sense where you can apply tech to any problem, and that's how we're going to solve it. Like, right. if I hear someone say that we're going to hack the refugee crisis, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Right. These are very <laughs> complicated problems involving human beings and governments yeah. and, like, yeah. moral yeah. questions. Yeah. It's not that easy. Yeah. You know? So, like, that sort of... 
Well, they silliness. kind of gotten their heads handed to them around the fake news stuff or hoaxes. I'm calling using the term hoaxes because the fake news word has gotten so yeah, bad. It's good. I like that. Yeah. Hoaxes. <laughs> They're just hoaxes. Um, and I think one of the things that's been hard is that the response of, you know, Mark, as usual, was initially started like, we have no impact on anything. Right. Like, I don't know what you're talking We're a benign platform. And it's sort of that, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people kind of attitude. Right. And I'm like, actually, bullets kill people, but technically, um, but uh, which you make. Um, fake, fake news kills people. Sort of. Like, it doesn't. But it, it, but it was interesting, the shift of the, we, we're just benign platforms and we're here to help the world versus you have consequences to your actions. And I think they're starting, the penny is starting to drop. And Mark did start with the 6,000-word essay, which could have used a lot of editing. Um, but, um, but in that zone, like, okay, maybe, possibly, we have an impact. In some well, way. right. It's just like, are we, we're, not, we're not a media company. We're pla- well, you're something new, and right. kind of both, and you have right. a really important role to right. play, and you can't pretend you don't. Yeah. So let's talk about Trump. Sure. Trump, 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 because we love talking about love it. Love it. Um, how do you guys feel about Obamacare and the, the, the repeal and Trump care or Obamacare light? How are you looking at that? Seems to be going swimmingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think what's happening right now is uh, Republicans and Donald Trump are reckoning with the fact that they told their base lies about Obamacare for the last eight years, and now they're the dogs who caught the car. Mm-hmm. And this, the Congressional Budget Office, which is a bunch of nonpartisan nerds who crunch numbers, you know, came out yesterday and said that it would leave 24 million people uninsured. And, then, and it also said that uh, it'll raise premiums, and then premiums will finally start to come down in 2026, but only because dead. older people won't be able to afford health insurance. Right. And so because the older, sicker people are uninsured, then premiums might come down for other people. After right. they die. After, so, like, right, yeah. so basically, like, the plan is, like, if you're, like, a near retiree and you don't want to go bankrupt before you get Medicare, like, wrap yourself in some, like, bubble wrap. Stay very calm. <laughs> Try not eat healthy. But the, but the problem is... Race. They, so they tried to make Obamacare this... Oh, it's a government takeover. It's socialized yeah. medicine, death panels, all these hoaxes, conspiracy theories. And the truth is that Obamacare was a rather conservative version of universal health care. Mm-hmm. Borrowed ideas from Mitt Romney, from the Heritage Foundation, individual mandate, all of these policies that people on the right had been talking about for years. And so because, because they, have, they branded it as this, like, government takeover thing, even though it really wasn't, now that they're trying to fix it, there's nowhere further to go on the right except to say the government doesn't have any responsibility to insure people. And their base, like Donald Trump is not president because a lot of people wanted to lose their health care. <laughs> That's not why. In fact, when he ran for president, he promised right. he wouldn't cut Medicaid. That promise is already broken with this bill. He promised he would cover everyone. He had insurance. That promise is already broken. And he's been very successful in lying to people and gaslighting people and stuff. But once people start to get these cancellation notices, if this passes, or once people realize that they can't afford to get their health care anymore, like he's not going to be able to lie his way through that. That's going to be felt. So what do you imagine is going to happen now? With, I mean, uh, the media has been super aggressive on it, but every time right. the media does this, then it, oh, he wins, like, that kind of thing. It is, yeah. it, in that way, it is like a game. Well, he's, right. never, been, he's never been president before. Right, right. Uh, and this is the first thing he's tried to pass. Right. They, right. Remember, everything else up till now has been executive orders. This uh-huh. is the first thing he's actually tried to pass through Congress since he's been president. I mean, it's interesting. You, it, you, we'll see if he commits to this, right? Because he, every once in a while, he gets up there and he's like, I tell Paul Ryan and the gang that we should just let it all crash and burn for two years and get the political consequences, the benefits. But that's not right, so let's push this bill. As he reads coverage of how bad this bill is, as he sees Republicans start peeling off, I wonder if he'll stay committed to to pushing this through. Because I don't know that 
it's not clear to me what the constituency is for what they're trying to do, besides mm-hmm. Paul Ryan's stupid PowerPoint and his better way nonsense. I mean, look, mm-hmm. yeah, so, <laughs> so first of all, you saw Bre- even Breitbart today is kind of churning on the bill. Yeah, um, that was interesting. They published the Paul Ryan. Yeah, so I don't know what's going on. They're playing, it's like, I don't know, oh. it's a bunch of idiots playing chess. I'm not really sure what's going on <laughs> over there. Fucking like, It's like, woo, we're playing chess, but we don't really know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> but I also don't know the rules. Gotcha. Uh, well, yeah. they're turning on each other. They're yeah, they're tr- maybe, right? Yes. We, who knows? You, know, you see Republicans in the Senate say this bill can never pass. You know, Tom Cotton in the Senate says, why would, you, why would the Republicans walk the plank on this bill? It can never pass the Senate. Um, you know, the, the, like, like, there's, the, there's, there's the Venn diagram of, like, there, the, bill needs to be really, the bill needs to be evil enough to pass the House and bad enough and, 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 and give enough tax cuts to the rich and, and restrict mm-hmm. the subsidies enough to pass the House. But then it also needs to be reasonable enough and moderate enough right. to get through the Senate. Been, that may not, there may not be an overlap there. So. The, number, the numbers are 3 and 22. The Republicans, uh, if they lose 22 House members, they can't pass in the House. If they lose three senators, they can't pass in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So um, you could imagine maybe Paul Ryan getting enough Republican congressmen to vote for the bill, either the way it is now by Trump browbeating them or by making it, like Levitt said, even further to right. Mm-hmm. But even if that happens, there's now eight Republican senators who've gone on record in the Senate having problems with the bill, right? And they can only lose three, so it's tough. But I do think is this, I mean, this happened during the campaign, like, it all looks messy from the outside right right now, and we can all laugh at it, but like, we have to be part of this fight if we want to stop it. This is the most winnable and consequential fight yet of this presidency, and every single person has to stand up and speak out for it, because that's the only way we're going to stop it. So, but do you imagine something where we think we got him and then he gets out again? Like he well, somehow... A couple times. I mean, this yeah. Could, yeah. I mean, it's not Breaking Bad. I mean, may, right. may, maybe. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I, so we have to fight it. Um, it's really hard to pass legislation. We're protected by the institutions <laughs> of our government still. Um, but, uh, you know, is there a chance we, we think we have them in our grasp and he slips through our fingers? Yeah, sure. And then, you know, we'll... I don't know, but... Well, look, there's also... If it. nothing passes... Um, the Trump administration would need to shore up some of these markets where some of these insurers have been leaving mm-hmm. anyway. We're leaving the last year of the Obama administration, right. which is a very fixable thing. You just, you know, you provide some more subsidies. Mm-hmm. You make sure that people right. buy health insurance with the mandate. So you can make it work. They can decide if nothing passes, we're going to let it not fail, but we're going to make sure it doesn't work and then try to blame the Democrats. So right. like that very well could happen. It could happen. So you feel it's going to fail at this point? At this point, it doesn't look too good. But I, I, like I said, I think it's up to it is up to. Yeah, we're out of the prediction business. Yeah, Hillary is absolutely going to win. It's up to us. Um, yeah. Wiretapping. How do you feel about? <laughs> Not for it. Did, <laughs> what part of that? <laughs> well, Tommy's the one. He put on a put on a pair of overalls and a black hat. <laughs> Went into Trump Tower. Um, opened that microwave door. What do you make of it? I mean, this is. <laughs> Got in there with the wires. Tommy sees it all. <laughs> It's a lot of ice cream. It's a lot of ice cream and yelling at the TV, frankly. I don't know what people are so worked up about. Um, what, what, uh, what do you think about? Why do you, what do you... I mean, the, the broader story, I think, of Trump's crazy wiretapping tweet is something we've been watching for a while, which yeah. is he consumes not media, but conspiracy theories, whether right. it's Breitbart or some random guy who tweets that 3 million people voted illegally in California, right. and then he regurgitates it to the masses, yeah. right? And so I don't think he understands what a FISA court is. I don't mm-hmm. think he understands what wiretapping really means. Mm-hmm. There may be, a, it may be the case that there was some 
collection of information regarding contact from a server to the Russian bank. Like that's something we're reading about. Mm -hmm. But the President of the United States cannot order the wiretapping of an American citizen, mm -hmm. period. That's because of reforms after Nixon, because he did that against his political opponents. To just blindly accuse, to, to just wake up Saturday morning pissed off at the world and tweet that the former President of the United States wiretapped you mm -hmm. It's so monumentally insane. Where do you, you think it's coming from? Because a lot of people do think it's all calculated. I mean, I think, I think his father <laughs> wasn't very loving. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think he has a chip Not on his shoulder about that. Not enough hugging his children. Right. And I think, like, I think he struggles with a lack of self-worth. So he kind of, <laughs> he, so he inflates his own sense of ego. But, but at the end of the day, he hates himself the most. And so there's no amount of attention and praise that can fix that problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's sort of a vicious circle. Yeah. So he gets angry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Okay, that was good. That, 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 this is a softball. I thought, yeah, he was like, here it comes. I was waiting for self-hating homosexual in there, and I was like, let's go there. No, no, I don't like myself, but I love being gay. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I think he has advisors around him, like Steve Bannon, yeah. who is feeding him this bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the most frustrating part of this is, like, he controls the entire intelligence apparatus of the United States. Mm -hmm. he, he has the coolest job in the world. He could ask for any piece of information at any time, whenever he wanted it. He doesn't do that because he's not intellectually curious. The answer is out J there. Yeah. He can Who find the answer. Who killed JFK? <laughs> the best thing they said, yeah, like, the What's moon happening landing. at Area 51? Right. The moon landing. Right. Did it actually happen? Right. No. Who killed me? You know, <laughs> the, the idea that they're like, okay, um, to prove this claim, we're going to ask Congress to investigate the executive branch. Who runs the executive branch? And today, today they're blaming it on, they're like, oh, it was air quotes. Tap. Yeah. Are you unbelievable? What, what, what do you think about that, the reaction? Why don't so they just that's the most. That's the most important thing, too. Right. Like, Donald Trump is going to do what Donald Trump is. He's in, a, he's in a new and strange house, but he's behaving in the exact same way. Like, mm -hmm. it's, he's just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. um, what, is, what is so dispiriting, what's so heartbreaking, what's so enraging, what makes this so painful is he now ha he is, A, defended by people who know better on the Hill, who have refused to hold him accountable. And he has people around him, people like Sean Spicer, Kellyanne Conway, Reince Priebus, who have given up any semblance of their integrity to create, an, to create a way to make Trump not look bad. So like Sean Spicer says, we're going to release a statement, we're going to get Congress to investigate. That is all just a way to deal with the fact that the president is a jackass mm -hmm. and, 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 and lying and, and, and horrible. And they know it and they're, they're, they're selling their souls to uh, defend him. And why? I, I don't know. Ambition, right? Not thinking it through. Fear, fear, fear of the, the These people make decisions because their base is all worked up, or they think that the Republican base is all worked up because they are, you know, incited every day by the Sean Hannitys of the world mm -hmm. and the Breitbart's. And so these people get spun up, and then the politicians are like, "Well, we can't go against the base because then we'll be attacked by Breitbart." It's all fear of losing their job. And we were talking about this a little backstage. I mean, you see all these tech companies sort of dipping their toe and being a part of, sort mm -hmm. of advisory panels, I think that's an incredibly bad idea. Right. Because I think if you put your lot in with Donald Trump, you're going to own a lot of the shit he does, even if you think you can distance yourself from that specific thing. So We're no. all in Trump University now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we want our money back. Yeah. Um, you're learning a lot? Yeah. Um, you like your teachers? But <laughs> <laughs> There is a feeling, though, that it's part of a bigger master plan, that it's all, all the chaos and mania is... I mean, I think, All like, manufactured. Na nationalism is not that hard. It's not that hard to incite people <laughs> against another. I, and it's also, I mean, this is the harder that Democrats have, the challenge Democrats have all the time is, like, we believe in governing and governance and 
you know, trying to find middle ground. Steve Bannon's stated purpose is he's a Leninist and he wants to burn the thing down. So maybe that's the master plan. I'm not ascribing a lot of brain wattage behind sort of the daily execution of that plan. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they have all the levers of government, so they should be able to do something. That is the exact point, right? I mean, it is so much easier to burn down a barn than to you know, make people believe that government can work for them. That is the harder challenge. And so no matter what happens, we will always have the more difficult challenge because government screws up a lot of times and it it leaves people behind. And so like, it's not perfect. And for Bannon and for Trump, it's not genius to say uh, all your problems, you can blame it on this person that doesn't look like you, or you can blame it on politicians, or you can blame it on that. That is super easy. And that's why Barack Obama may be the maddest he ever was, was when healthcare.gov didn't work. Mm -hmm. Because he had been trying to talk about, like on the campaign in 0708, he would talk about making government cool again, right? Because all politicians run it down and criticize it, and rightly so in a lot of instances. But like, there's some basic competence and some basic need there for a lot of people. And when that didn't work, that infuriated him because it undercut the faith in Absolutely. the thing we're trying to build. It was astonishing. Yeah. It was astonishing that Tinder works every day and they couldn't get his <laughs> website to work. I actually said that on, um, on uh, Meet the Press. It was like a group of white guys and me on Meet the oh. Press. And, which was very exciting for me. Um, and, um, <laughs> and I said, you know, Tinder works every day. And they're like, are you comparing, you know, healthcare to t- Tinder? I go, no, Tinder works. You can get fucked easily. Um, so, so, uh, so no. David Gergen like over to you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was one of those guys. They all look the same to me. <laughs> this is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. When you think about this administration, so do you, are you scared or are you just like, 
What a I'm very what a fucking goat rodeo this is. What both. You, I'm scared sometimes. For why me. is that? Why? If it, it seems uh, like it's out of control. I don't think because that it's right out of right now the world is a relatively <laughs> stable place right now. At least <laughs> the United States is, and I am very worried. I mean, it's all fun and games now. We can make fun of them for wiretapping and all this other kind of these crazy conspiracy theories. But when a crisis hits. Um, I don't know how he's going to react, but I don't think it's going to be well. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that sort of keeps, that's what keeps me up. I mean, I was on the national security staff. Yeah. I was a low-level two-bit spokesman, but I sat in a lot of meetings where mm-hmm. I saw very serious people making decisions. And so I understand that, like, the work that you have to do to, like, manage in North Korea mm-hmm. is ongoing and constant, and it requires pushing the government and, and bringing them together and working these problems every day. I have no sense that that's happening. Mm-hmm. You add to what John said, like, when Barack Obama, when Umar Farouk Abdul-Muttalib tried to blow up a plane over Detroit, or, or you know, when any of the various sort of crises hit, whether it was a, a domestic shooting or a terrorist attack, he first and foremost viewed his role as sort of talking about the resilience of the United States and like bringing people down and making sure there wasn't hysteria and you know, turning on each other. I, I do not think that will be Donald Trump's instinct. I do not think that will be Steve Bannon's instinct. I think they will see a political opportunity also like when obama walked into office the you know there's this economic crisis right no one wanted to take a vote for the financial bailout no one wanted to take a vote for the auto bailout Mm -hmm. but uh obama democrats and some republicans came together to do that knowing that it was going to be unpopular because they knew that if they did not do that the economy would have collapsed and the global economy could have collapsed with it that took some political courage i could not see this congress and this president taking those same are there any republicans john which ones do you like? Uh, I think Ben Sass is really interesting and has had some integrity. Um, Justin Amash. And Justin, yeah. yeah, I mean, man, some people that I would not expect to like. Uh, <laughs> it's not that hard. It's like, are you say, you know, so Seth Moulton, right, Democrat, we had him on the show yesterday, and he was saying that in the House, he goes to the House gym and he works out with a bunch of Republicans. And when they're in the gym and they're talking, they all know how crazy Donald Trump is. They all know what he's doing is wrong. And then they put their suits on and they go out to the podium and they lie. Mm-hmm. And it's not that hard to show integrity in this moment, and there are very few who have done it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, John McCain's been running the Maverick play longer than, like, Stockton Malone ran the pick and roll, right? Like, it's right. like <laughs> every time the reporter's like, oh, my God, he, he spoke out. So, I mean, I do think there's some value <laughs> in what they're saying. I'd love to see them, like, push a little harder here. Right. Because um, him and Lindsey Graham have an act going. They have an act, and they yeah. have yeah. a shtick, and it worked yeah. very well. That learned Waldorf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you say? Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. I I've, been, I've been impressed with like, there's a lot of uh, political operatives that are Republicans who've sort of spoken out and decided this is not going to be my, you know, whether it's like Nicole Wallace or Tim Miller or Stuart Stevens or Mike Murphy, a lot of these folks who were Romney people, Bush people. Um, so, but it's funny when you get to elected office and you actually, you, you see fewer, you, you don't you see, see as fewer. much of that. You see a lot more Marco I want to finish Rubio's. up on the media itself. Um, and then we'll get to some questions. We have a whole bunch of questions. Just one or two minutes on that. How do you look at how the media has performed here in general? The, ge- the general, and there's lots of different, there's print media, there's, but it's all pretty much the same. Yeah. How do you look about how it happened? Because a year and a half ago, I was meeting with some, there, I was at a party, and there was all uh, campaign reporters from the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and they were all treating Trump like a circus act. They were like, oh, he's nothing, and and I was like, he's kind of interesting, don't you think? Like, the, I like Make America Great. Oh, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, the powers that be will not let Trump win. And I said, are they going to shoot him? Because otherwise, I don't see how they can stop him because he's really appealing. Yeah. And, and it was sort of a, a total missing in action kind of thing. Do you think they have recovered that now? 
Um, I, I've learned not to lump the media all in together. Yeah. That's one thing I've been trying not to do. I think journalists, people who go out and do reporting, have done an outstanding job, and they've been doing an even better job in the Trump era. Uh, I think that political analysis is still as broken as it ever has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, the raging, raging dumpster fire filled with idiots <laughs> and just campaign rejects and valueless creeps. <laughs> just I a think, bunch okay. of TV-hungry <laughs> maniacs. <laughs> That's why we're starting media coming. To John's point, like I think there were decisions made early on. I I, I want to be more careful about this too, because like I feel like we were careful. We were (laughs) we're we're doing careful now. Doing careful now. Uh, Nuance. Thirteen minutes left. Nuance. (laughs) We were very critical of the media. I think it's important to talk about like what the criticism was. A lot of it was cable news, and a lot of it was business decisions made by top people to show Trump constantly, while their reporters. I mean, now, though. Now, do you think they're... I think they're a hell of a lot tougher on him now than they were before. I feel like it's a dumpster fire. No, in terms of... The reporters, I think, are doing... The reporters are doing a good job. Like, you look at Jake Tapper, like, he's doing tough journalism every day. Yeah, he is, actually. I think that that what happened in the run-up to the election, I think that there was this presumption that Hillary Clinton would be the next president. Mm -hmm. So they treated her like someone to be held accountable to being president, and they treated uh, Trump like a TV show a little bit. I mean, I will... Always remember the the New York Times. The Always they, what? Always. No, Always. Forever so remember the New York Times on the day that they had four or five email stories that blanketed the front page. Yeah. Um, and no, it was uh, about the letter. It was, it was about Comey's letter. Comey's letter. There was no allegation. There was there was no proof. There was no nothing. It led the entire New York Times a week before the election, and then the night before the election, when Comey said, "No, just kidding. By the way, just kidding. Nothing was wrong here. She's fine." Uh, NBC Nightly News led with um, Hillary Clinton avoids email controversy on final day. Right. That was that was which it. is <laughs> wait did she? <laughs> but uh, but uh, <laughs> that was a bit. <laughs> what were we talking about? Okay. Can you guys see my hand? The media, the media, the media. The media. Oh yeah, the, the media. dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that they've been chastened. I think that one thing that they've been learning how to do is how do you deal with the fact that the president's a liar um, and that you can't just report his accusations. Um, there's, you know, there are bright spots and and and, and failures. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that we have a problem of the conversation around politics is broken. The journalism is excellent. But there's also like there's one of the things we think about constantly is like people are getting information in different ways. Like, I, I think if you're betting on cable news being the primary way of people getting political news in 10 years, you're crazy, right? So we're trying to figure out how to reach people entirely mobily. I think a podcast is a part of that, but I think like what the Snapchat folks are doing, Good Luck America mm-hmm. with Peter Hamby, like if you're not thinking about these people who aren't Googling Barack Obama or going to nytimes.com, but how to reach them where they are, right. you're not going to be communicating with the people you need to reach. And if we don't figure out a way to reach them, then Our the fake news, fuck. the hoaxes are going to reach them. Yeah. Right? They're yeah. going to get it on their Facebook feed. So you have a John Lovett filter on Snapchat now? Uh, that's I let's let's talk about that after. <laughs> right, right. That's an idea. All right, let's get to some questions. Um, let's see. Uh, what do you think of what is happening in France right now with the right, uh, the rise of the far right wing, Marie Le Pen, and various? It's scary, and it's it's weird. It's weird the convergence of rhetoric, and that you know you see like Nigel Farage and Steve Bannon and Marie Le Pen like meeting, having conversations. Um, I think Europe. We should be nervous about Europe for a couple of reasons. I think they are susceptible to some of the fake news, like Russian hacking things we saw mm-hmm. that were so pervasive in our election. I think that's something they're sort of sounding the alarm on, rightly so. Um, I think that they've dealt with... Um, look, we're really lucky to have two big oceans on either side of our country, right? Mm-hmm. And we have like very safe, steady borders. They do not. And what has happened in Syria and Iraq in terms of the refugee crisis has been disruptive, and it's 
adding on to a problem um, of a failure to assimilate communities together and, and people feeling disaffected and unemployed and dealing mm-hmm. with economic problems as well. So I think, you know, it makes me very nervous about the ability of nationalism to really work uh, and to push someone like her with some pretty abhorrent views. Yeah. Into it's, frankly, it's frankly an easier sell in Europe than it is here. Yeah. It happened here. And in uh, the Dutch or another, another it, Yeah. Steve King's favorite guy. Yeah. It's fascinating that Germany is sort of the bulwark against alt-right. Yeah. I mean, thank God for Angela Merkel. And yeah. Angela. 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 Um, All right. Uh, What are your plans to give crooked media a more diverse voice? I would agree with that. You all somewhat look the same. Us too. Yeah. yeah. I was told that being gay doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. No more. (laughs) It used to. It's like trying to get into nursery schools in San Francisco. It used to be easy, but now there's too many gays with children. Um, uh, What... Kara Swisher, too yeah. many gays with children. That's why, like, <laughs> that's why, like, Pence doing like an anti-gay EO would yeah. be like bittersweet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we get a little bit of we get a little bit of that vibe back. Yes, we do. I know. It's I so, don't want that to happen. So pleasurable for it to come no, back. This is something we talk about and think about a lot because it's important to us for a number of reasons. It's important to us because we know we have blind spots mm-hmm. when you're like literally same looking, same age, same work background, and we're missing perspectives, and we're trying to create a company that's going to reach a whole universe of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. So we're working on diversifying our team internally as we start to hire people. I mean, we're a two-month-old company, right? So right. we haven't like made a lot of decisions yet. But that's very, very, very important to us. Right. Um, have more podcasts of more diversity. And, we, and we're, we're trying to recruit yes, both. people to join Crooked Media that have diverse perspectives, diverse voices, and are coming from different backgrounds than us and different mm-hmm. views. Because, you know, I, I think a year from now, I don't think this is a company that's like set up for us to to talk. I think it's a setup, it's a company that's like brought together really smart, interesting people to have a better conversation about politics. And we might not be a part of a lot of those conversations. Yeah. We don't want it to be built just around us. And no, I think yeah. we want diversity of background, diversity of viewpoints, diversity of life experience. Like that is incredibly important to this company. And it's what we're thinking about as we go beyond just the three of us, which it is yeah. right now. Yeah, <laughs> which I had, a, had, a company we started because we're friends. Yeah. yeah. I had ranked you. Remember I, backstage, I had ranked them. I said, you're the, oh, here are the left, the left wing uh, dude bros. Bro, uh, dude bros. Or whatever. Douche bros? Oh, douche bros. Yes, I said douche bros. Um, and then I said, compared to the tech douche bros, compared to the right wing douche bros, you know, there's a list. And you said, where are we on the list? I said, oh, you're at the top, but it's really low bar. Um, uh, we'll take it. But I'm, I'm sorry I missed that conversation. I know, you did. Yeah, you <laughs> like should have played. Delightful. It was delightful. Um, but meaning that you would have shows that are, how do you look at it? Because you don't want to just like fill in slots, but what, what is the thinking behind that? No, it's, it's, well, for one, it's like, it's not filling slots. That's not how we think about it at all. It's like bringing people to the table as partners to help make every single decision and who are diverse in perspective and background and like understand things we don't know. So that's part of it. But then, I mean, our, our first show is uh, with friends like these with Anna Marie Cox. You should all subscribe on iTunes. It's great. Right. Um, her show is about bringing people who disagree together and bridging divides. Right, right. So, so it's the content and the individual. Yeah. And she's done it a couple of different ways. Like her first episode was she interviewed a pastor who both of his um, counties in Wisconsin voted for Trump. So she got that. Pr- and then, you know, um, she then had a, a great interview um, <laughs> with a friend. Uh, and the whole episode was being the black friend. Oh. Um, that was her second episode. So she's, yeah. she's really... It, she's doing a great thing because she's, she's right. like, I don't just want ideological partisan differences, but differences across race and religion and having all these uncomfortable right. conversations. Which right. Is it's sort of your family Thanksgiving dinner, essentially. Exactly. Past yeah. year. All right. Uh, U.S. has never been ri- as ripe for tyranny 
Could it be a gift that Trump pulls comfortable people back to reality and to care, as in external uniting threat? There is this whole meme that, you know, he's, he's going to be King Trump. Do you think that? Do you feel that? Or do you think it's just being used to uh, scare people? I think that, it's, it's, first of all, it's really hard to predict. I, I, I think being afraid that he's going to become an authoritarian, a true, a full authoritarian, I think it's, um, I think it's more, more effective and more practical to think, what can I do to protect institutions right now? Because at the end of the day, Trump, leads as, Trump leaves office as a bitter president who undermined a bunch of our institutions and changed the presidency in a bunch of negative ways. Um, that's that's just, still terrible. Yeah. Um, and so I think, and the other thing to keep in mind, you know, you know Trump gives this, uh, this uh, uh, joint address to Congress, right? And, and of course, a, a group of people that I've criticized lightly during this event say, he became president, he's finally president, you know, he's presidential now. Um, well, what, what does that mean? What that means is he walked, he gave the speech, he succeeded, he didn't mm-hmm. fall down. Mm-hmm. He had the pomp and ceremony of being the president of the United States. He right. gets those cultural institutions, he gets those norms, we have given them to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to protect the ones that aren't as fun, right. like the oversight and the rule of law. Yeah. And I think that, that has to be our focus, you know, worrying that he's the going to media, become... the courts. Yeah. We're, he can be very, very destructive long before he's Putin. Right, right. I, have, I, have a, I do a foreign policy show called Pod Save the World. You can also We're just hitting all of our marks. In all our bases here. <laughs> but like I, t- I was talking to a guy named Mike McFall, who is former U.S. ambassador to Russia, and, and I asked him a similar question. And people who are Russia experts, like Julie Yaffe was sort of pointing out similar things, there are parallels. And I think what... The tail of the tape on sort of Putin's rise is that people didn't fight hard enough early, mm-hmm. especially especially when it comes to defending the press, mm-hmm. which is why I think we're pretty hard press, on the judges. Now, the, apparently, the Congressional Budget Office needs protecting U.S. attorneys. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. Every every nonpartisan institution that he doesn't like, he's savaging. But right. I think it is important to fight these things early. And like, I don't know that that's a blessing in disguise, but a more aware, a more awake population, that's probably a good. Thing. So, next question: Did Hillary lose because of policy, personality, or Putin? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Yes. You got to pick one. I don't know if I can. I don't know if policy should go there. I don't think there was a policy that. Um, I think. Uh, look, the Putin thing is hard to. It's hard to tell what kind of effect that had. It's hard to measure it. But clearly, like the combination of WikiLeaks. I think Comey probably had a bigger effect on the on the undecided voters at the end. Is that? Yeah, that's, that's Putin. Putin. Yeah. Uh, I think that had done. But that said, I think that Hillary was in a position to have Comey tip the race because she probably was, I think she was a candidate who'd been in, who, who's of Washington, right? And that's not just a specific Hillary problem. Like I was on the Kerry race in 04. That was my first race. John Kerry had that same problem. Like yeah. people who have been in Washington a very long time um, tend to be a little stiffer and a little more cautious mm-hmm. when they're out on the campaign trail. It's not just specific to Hillary. Bernie was actually an exception. <laughs> Bernie's been in Washington for I don't know how long. Yeah, he exactly. Didn't, he didn't seem like he was Washington. No. You know, he still sort of broke out of that. No. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Putin personnel. Go for it. I was going to say that, you know, look, on the policy front, I think one lesson I take away from, from the election is, um, you know, there was a lot of like, look at how many policies, look how thick this policy proposal is. And, and you know, you look at the proposals on minimum wage or college, and you took simple, elegant Bernie Sanders ideas. And, and it's not about left versus, versus right, but just simple, digestible ideas that said, like, this is going to help you. It's simple. It's for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a democratic apparatus that treated seriousness with how complicated it was, right. how you can massage the tax credits to not hurt the deficit in a certain kind of way. And I think that's the kind of thinking we need to push aside because we're in the wilderness. We're, we're an opposition party. We need to have simple, clear proposals. Right. I think 
I think it's very frustrating. Clear proposals. Uh, whatever he said, yeah. Simple, uh, clear proposals. <laughs> <laughs> the rare applause line. <laughs> That's not very Hamiltonian. But okay. I, I, feel very, I feel bad for the friends who worked on the campaign because they sort of get called sore losers when they talk about the Putin. But as like a guy who's worked on a campaign comms team, you can't underestimate like the damage that did to the mood music of the election. Like right. Every day you're dealing with Putin or John Podesta's emails or whatever the hell it is, and you mm -hmm. cannot get a message out that's hard to get out anyway. So like, I don't discount that. I think what we screwed up and what I personally screwed up as a Democrat was clearly the rise of Bernie said, we hate Washington. The rise of Trump said, we hate Washington. And we said, here's a fixture of Washington for 30 years, <laughs> yeah. right? And like, voters said, no, that's not what we want. And I, and I think, I don't think that's personality. I don't think that's policy. I don't think it's Putin. I think it's a fundamental misreading by Democrats of like what people wanted. And some of that was set before the election even began. Even right. if you even if you think she ran a great campaign, you know, like it was right. just sort and of baked in. She three million more votes, a hundred thousand votes go the other way. We're having a very different conversation. Oh, stop. It's, it's worth pointing out. It's worth no, pointing out. No, it is pointing out, but we always point it out. That's, that's, I don't always point it, it out. Well, I rarely do. I forgot no, for a long time. but the thing is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's the thing about the Putin. It doesn't matter. We have to learn the lesson. Wow. Like, that's a lot of the... Yeah, I know. I'm not... Like, I'm not if doing only. That. Do that. Do that. If only. Oh, so close. It was, yeah. only, it was 30 Well, I'd say, like, people. yeah, right. She almost became president. Uh, we almost we weren't in a nightmare. Hey, how's it going? Yet not. All right, last question. What's happening? We're just having a sidebar. You each to answer this and then say who, if you could pick almost any Democrat, anyone in the world who would pick to run um, in 2020, who would it be? It says, Cory Booker wasn't on your list of promising Dems. What's your thinking? That's the last question. You know, this is why who these would lists be suck. You could pick like, who would be? You always leave someone off a list. Yeah. You, know who, you, I left them off. you know who I forgot that I really like? Deval Patrick. Oh, yeah. 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 I could see Deval coming out. Okay. Retirement. I like Deval, Deval Patrick. Right. I like Deval Patrick. All right. But anyone, think of someone completely out of, you could just pull, grab someone from anywhere. Business, Hollywood, anywhere. Living or dead? Yeah, living or dead. Okay, good. <laughs> Barack Obama? <laughs> <laughs> no, he can't do it. I don't think this is going to be fruitful. I don't think we're going to want to pick somebody. I think no. we're going to be unhappy with this as the last question. All right. What would you like for the last question? I don't know. No, answer my fucking question. <laughs> That this is a tough interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's super hard for a lesbian to beat a gay guy. It really is. <laughs> yes, now you did the. We just have a natural rapport. Yes, you did the thing. I mean, look, we come from two different worlds. You know? <laughs> Well, you guys missed that there was an email chain where Kara told Lovett she didn't think he was funny, so the result is a lot yes. of right or wrong. No, I said he was passably funny. That was different. Right, and you... Which really... That's, going I on my Twitter that. profile. You posted <laughs> momentarily. Right. I did it because I knew the adverb would bother him. Um, <laughs> so pick one person. We gotta I'm, go. I'm picking Deval Patrick. Deval what? Patrick. Anyone from history... It's so annoying that he thought of Deval. I mean, no, I know. we want to say Deval. I'd like to see Elizabeth Warren run. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah. Warren, really. Yes. Elizabeth yeah. Warren. Yeah. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren, Deval Patrick, those are my childhood. I'd like to see the Elizabeth Warren that Come on, do an original one, love willing it. to let it rip and say whatever uh, she feels. An original one? Who do I? I have the, oh, Oprah. What are we even doing? I'm not into the secret thing. I, I'm sorry. That was some dangerous nonsense. If you wish it, you can be a billionaire like me. Where are they? Where are the Oprah billionaires? <laughs> All right, to not Oprah, Elizabeth Warren. Ah, oh, you want me to come up with somebody new? Yes, I do. It's not that hard. Give me some options. 
Michelle. Oh, Michelle. Oh, Al Franken. Al Franken. I love Al Franken. I love Al Franken. I have loved Al Franken forever. All right. I'm going with Jennifer Lawrence because everybody likes her. Oh, great. Good, good lesbian answer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and now, with that. the lesbian answer is, is Kristen Stewart because they want to. You just try to get her. Yeah, exactly. We just want her to hit us. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you. Crooked media. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And that was our episode. Wow. Wasn't that great? What a live show. <laughs> um, Incredible. We learned things. We came away differently. We didn't embarrass ourselves too much. Um, At least nope, none that we saw nope, publicly. Nope. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the one thing that doesn't come across in the audio is how many people came up to us to say that they were friends of the pod. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> <What's> the, <laughs> which is, was cool. I no, that's it. great. It was, we had a good time. Anyway, go subscribe to Pod Save America. Get your friends to subscribe. Take their phones. Subscribe. Write reviews. Uh, remember, we need all this. Remember. Subscribe right now to Love It or Leave It, my yes. new show. John is going to be a guest on the first episode. That's enough reason to subscribe right there. Um, also, subscribe to Pod Save the World. There's a great Glenn Greenwald interview. Everyone's talking about it. And, of course, subscribe to Anna Marie Cox's podcast with friends like these. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.